So if you've not been here, we've been in a teaching series the last two weeks that's called First Four Living in a Final Four World. So what we're looking at is the first four commandments. And we're doing this March Madness theme because basketball, March Madness is right around the corner. So we're two weeks in and I thought, well, it's only fair that I show you what my bracket looks like after two weeks. So here's my bracket. Maybe. Possibly. There we go. Yeah. Uh, oh, for two. First commandment, no. Second commandment, no. Same for you guys? You better say yes, because one of the commandments about lying. We're not covering that tonight, but, but we got to check. We've got a, a question mark next to the third commandment. So we got another shot tonight. So in the words of Lloyd Christmas in the cinematic masterpiece, Dumb and Dumber, who said, so you're telling me there's a chance. And then Mary Sampsonite told him, eh, about one in a million. Actually, it's gonna be about one in a billion because this commandment involves your tongue, the words that come out of your mouth, so you know we're in trouble. Here's what James has to say about our tongue in the Bible. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That sounds terrible. How in the world are we going to obey this commandment when that's our tongue? Well, so this doesn't sound good for us. We need to get serious. You ready to get serious with me? Okay, so here we go. There's three guys swimming in the ocean. One's an atheist. And he's talking to his other two buddies, and they start talking about God. He isn't having it. So he tells him, I don't wanna hear this God talk. He doesn't exist. He's a figment of your imagination. He only exists in the minds of weak people who need a crutch to get through life. God does not exist. Well, right around the time he's saying that, that this great, huge, white, this huge, great white shark starts swimming at him. This joke took place in Australia. And he starts swimming really hard, and he looks back, and the shark's already gained half the distance on him. He looks back one more time, the shark's now up out of the water, his mouth's wide open, the jaw's open, he sees the razor sharp teeth, They're, he's done. So he panics and he said, oh God, save me. Immediately, instantly, time freezes. Everything stops moving, this beam of light comes down from, from heavens on the atheist and he hears God's voice say, you're an atheist, why are you calling out to me? You don't believe in me. And the atheist is confused, but he, he has this sense, I better not lie. So he says, well, you're right, I don't believe in you, but what about the shark? Can you make the shark believe in you? So God immediately says, as you wish. Light goes back up into heaven. He unfreezes time. The atheist can feel water moving again, and he's getting ready to swim. And he looks back at the shark. And the shark has closed his mouth. He's not moving. And the shark's almost like standing up in the water. And so the atheist thinks, it worked. I'm home free. He looks back one more time. And then the shark closes his eyes. And he bows his head. And he brings his fins in and says, dear God, thank you for this food for which I'm about to receive. Amen. <laughs> now, it's a silly joke to point out that God... God will not be disrespected. Even when we don't see 
punishment happen right away. Even if we don't see his wrath, sin has a price. Now, before we get going, I want to remind you that what we're talking about tonight, this is not the 10 suggestions. These aren't the 10 recommendations. These aren't the 10 highly advised ideas. God's not saying, please do these things. Or what do you think about doing this stuff? I think your life will be better. God's saying, don't do this. Don't. These are commands from God, divine rules, laws, that God doesn't just expect us to keep. He demands that we obey these commands, and if we don't, there's gonna be severe penalties. So with that, let's take a look at the third commandment. Let's see what we're up against tonight, and I'm gonna show you this in two different translations. The first one is in RSV, I'll read it to you. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I probably looked at 30 to 35 different translations. This is the more popular translation. I saw this in about 70% of the translations. And I wanna look at that word in vain in particular. The Hebrew word there is pronounced shav, and it means vanity. Well, that doesn't tell us a whole lot because we don't use that word. What does vanity mean? Vanity means emptiness, false worthless, common, useless. So when we take God's name in vain, we're making his name empty, false, worthless, common, and useless. So let's look at the second translation. I'm showing you NIV because I know a lot of folks study out of the NIV Bible. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So really the only difference in that verse misuses his name instead of in vain. And I like both of these translations. I wanted to show these to you because I'm going to go back and forth as I'm teaching tonight. And if you look at the back end of the verse, they are very similar. The Lord will not hold us guiltless if we misuse his name or use his name in vain. As I've already said, God will not be disrespected. Now, I want to make one more point before we actually get into the teaching, and I think for most of us, maybe all of us, we look at this command and we think, all right, God gave us the 10 most important things that we could do, that we could obey, and this made it? This is, this is one of them. He could have told us to do anything, and that made the list. Because we get that we shouldn't murder, that we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't commit adultery. We even get that we shouldn't have any other gods or have a God before him. But this, it just doesn't seem serious to us. Well, as Pastor Dave pointed out two weeks ago, the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. In other words, these are the four most important things that we need to keep in mind in how we relate to God and build our relationship with God. And in, in one of those four, God says, don't misuse my name. Don't use my name in vain. Why is this so important to God? Well, that's what we're gonna look at tonight. So I'm gonna take this lesson, I'm gonna break it up into three sections. And in the first section, what we're gonna look at is God's name, 
Because if we're not supposed to use it in vain or misuse it, we better know his name and why it's so important to him. We're also going to look at the importance of names back in the old Jewish culture when the Ten Commandments were given. The second section of this lesson, we're going to look at how we actually misuse the Lord's name. And I think at least one of these is going to surprise you. And then in the third section, we're going to look at the last part of the commandment, which again says, we will not be held guiltless if we break this commandment. God will not be disrespected. I've already said that multiple times, so I hope you're picking up on that. So let's start by looking at the significance of God's name. So we're gonna put the first part of the verse back up. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why is God's name so important to him? Because his name is who he is. When we disrespect his name, we are disrespecting God himself. And for this commandment to make sense in today's world, we need to go back into the culture, that old Jewish culture of that time. God's nature, his attributes, the totality of his being and his glory are all reflected in his name. The Israelites received the Ten Commandments around 1445 B.C., So that's almost 3,500 years ago. In that day, a person's name represented their heritage, their character, and their role in the community. In other words, your name was who you were. It's what you did or what you were about to do. And I want to show you some examples of names and what they meant in the Bible just to give you a feel for this. First one we're going to look at is Eve, which means the mother of all living and life giver. Well, it makes sense. Eve was the first woman. She was the first mother. She became the mother of all mankind. Let's look at the next one, Isaac. Isaac means laughter or he laughs. So the story here is Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89, and God comes to them and says, next year you guys are going to have a baby. Did you hear those ages again? 9989. So Sarah hears God say that to him, and she laughs. And God goes to her and said, "Why'd you laugh?" Sarah is terrified. And she lies and said, "I didn't laugh." And God said, "Yes, you did laugh." Every time I read that, it's terrifying and, and just hilarious to read that account. Next one, let's look at Moses. That means to pull out or to draw out. So if you remember the story, Moses was placed in this little papyrus boat on the Nile to basically save his life, and Pharaoh's daughter sent one of the slave girls down to the water to pull him out or draw him out of the water. Next one is Joshua. means God is salvation. So Moses had led the Israelites right up to the brink of the promised land. But God had already told Moses, you're not taking my people across. Your successor, Joshua, is. So Joshua is who actually took the Israelites across into the promised land. So through Joshua, God saved the nation of Israel. And the last one we're going to look at, Jesus, which is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. And that ought to make sense. Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one and only way. Names were so significant that God changed people's names 
after they encountered him or before he was calling them, them into a new and significant assignment. And I'm just going to give you three of these. These are all through the Bible. First one we're going to look at is Abram who became Abraham. So I just talked about him a minute ago. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. And if you remember the first week of this series, Dave was talking about Abraham and the covenant God made with him that links all the way down through Jesus Christ. And every one of us as believers, we all trace back to Abraham. That's why he's called the father of many nations. Next one, Jacob becomes Israel. So Jacob's name means he grasps, he grasps the heel and he deceives. If you don't know this story, Jacob was a twin. And his twin brother Esau was born just a little bit before him. And as Esau's coming out of the womb, Jacob is grabbing at his heel. And that tells you a little bit about what's going to happen in that relationship. Because Esau is the firstborn received his father's birthright in blessing. Well, Jacob's other name means he deceives, and that's what he did a lot of, and he deceived Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. A few chapters later in Genesis, we read about Jacob wrestling all night with this man, and it goes into the wee hours in the morning, and it isn't until you get to the end of the story that you realize he was wrestling with God. Well, that name Israel means he struggles with God. And then the last one, Simon, better known as Peter, but he started as Simon. And that mean, name means to hear or to listen, which I think is hilarious because we're talking about the disciple Peter. When I say Peter's name, do you think, yeah, that guy's a guy that listens? No, that guy put his foot in his mouth all the time. He was always doing and, and acting before he thought. But here's what else his name meant. It means to understand and to respond. You tell me another disciple that responded more than Peter. Who was in the boat when Jesus was out walking on the water and said, Lord, call me to you. Tell me to walk to you. And who took the, who took the step out of the boat and actually walked on water? That was Peter. So Jesus tells Simon, I'm changing your name to Cephas or Peter. What does that mean? Those names both mean rock. Cephas is in Aramaic and Peter is in Greek. And Jesus said, you're the rock, Peter, that I'm gonna build my church on. So names were very important for people. They were extremely important to God, especially in regard to God's name. All of God's names and titles reveal him, his nature, his power, his dominion, his authority. These names and titles help us better know God, to know his character. And I'm just going to show you a short list of the most common names, the popular names that you've probably seen for God. So the first two I'm going to talk about together. I am who I am and I am. So if you remember the story of when God calls Moses, this is the name that he gave. God gave himself this personal name. He first called himself I am who I am and then he shortened it to I am. Now, most of us don't call God that name. And I'll be honest with you, this is the name I struggle with the most because it's the one I, that I least understood until I studied this. 
And it has to do with how big this name is. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Then we've got Yahweh, which means it translates to I am, self-existent, infinite. You've got God, which means eternal, supreme being, creator, sustainer. Lord, which means master and ruler. Jehovah, which is a variant of Yahweh, and that translates as Lord or Lord God. Adonai, which is my Lord. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Elohim, which is the plural name of God, which means supreme and mighty one. And then El Shaddai, God Almighty. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's God's name God has over 150 names and titles that are listed in the Bible. I'm just gonna read a couple of these titles off to you. Titles like this. A stronghold in times of trouble. Creator of heaven and earth. My refuge. A sanctuary. My advocate. My comforter in sorrow. A redeemer and rock of our salvation. So each one of these names in titles shows us a little different side, a different angle of, of God. And it's almost like looking at different colors or different flavors or different genres of music. But with God, there is an infinite number of colors and an infinite number of flavors and sounds and melodies. In other words, our finite minds are never able to fully grasp all of, of who God is because he's just too big. He's too marvelous. He's too wonderful. He's too much for us to understand. So if you take all these names, I go back to that name, I am. If you took all the names and added them all together, they still don't come close to telling you who I am really fully is. And yet... Even though he's the creator of everything that is, was, and ever will be, and he controls whether you and I are going to take our next breath, we have the nerve, the audacity, the disrespect to use his name in vain and to misuse his name. Who do we think we are? Who do we think he is? Because we obviously think we're a lot bigger and more important than what we really are. And we must think he's a lot smaller and less important than who he is. So, if God's size, his greatness, and his infiniteness are not going to keep you from using his name in vain, it's time to get personal. I've got one more name that I want to talk about, and this is my favorite name for God. This is the name that I call him the majority of the time when I'm talking to him. Do you know him as father, as dad? God made us with relationship in mind. We all have a need for a relationship with our heavenly father. Now, not all of us know that. Not all of us understand that, and not all of us believe it, but that is the truth. I want you to picture yourself as a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle. Every single one of us was made with a piece missing in our heart and soul. And that's because of the sin nature that we were born in. And there's only one piece that's going to fit there, and that's God. We try to fill that space with everything but God, with stuff. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Marriage, kids, work, money, fame, drugs, alcohol, sex, you name it. 
They are all limited and cheap substitutes for God. Let's go back to the first commandment. God has to be first. He has He built us for him to be first in our lives, outranking everything, even your marriage, your kids, and your family. If you want to have the best marriage you can have, you want to have the best relationship with your kids and your family, then you need to live Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him. Seek relationship with him and make him first, and all these things will be given to you as well. What are all those things? That's your marriage, that's your kids, that's your family. You just gotta make him first. God created us to have a loving relationship with us like a father to a child. And I realize not all of us have or had good relationships with our dads. So you may not like looking at God as your father. I understand that. I was 42 years old before I had a relationship with my dad. My dad was 65. Well, I take that back. We had a relationship. It was distant and it was terrible. My dad was an alcoholic and he was a mean one, especially to me. But he got sober at the end of his life and I got to spend the last seven years of his life most of that time with him sober and I finally got to experience him as dad. And that was a gift and I know not everybody gets that gift. So if you struggle seeing God as your dad, I get it. I want you to think right now about the person that has loved you the best and the most. Who has poured into you the most? Who's the person that is willing to stop everything that they're doing and just let you run up into their lap? Or you run into their arms and they wanna hear everything you have to say. They want to hear all your dreams, what you're scared of, what you're happy about, what you're excited about, what you're mad about. Now, this person could be your dad. It could be your mom. It could be your grandparents. It could be your spouse. It could be a brother or sister. It could be your best friend. Whoever this person is that you're thinking of, for the rest of this sermon, I'm going to call them your person, okay? Because I'm gonna reference your person several more times tonight. Your person is the best human representation of our Heavenly Father in his love for you. Now, I want you to give me the best attention you got right now. I want you to focus because this 60 seconds is maybe the most important thing I'm gonna tell you the whole night because I think this will help you keep the third commandment and it's simple. Are you thinking of your person right now? Would you use their name in vain? Would you misuse their name? Would you use their name as a cuss word or just in a disrespectful way? No. And if somebody else used their name that way, you'd throat punch them, wouldn't you? So remember this. God loves you a whole lot more than your person or any other person is ever gonna love you on this earth. Don't disrespect your creator who loves you more than you will ever know, enough to send his son down to earth to die on the cross for you. And I know I've spent a lot of time here, but this will help us as we get into this next section, because this is where we're going to look at five ways that we break this commandment. So let's look at the first. This one, I'm sure, does not surprise anybody. Cursing, profanity, blaspheming God. 
And I'm going to spend a little bit of time here because I know that this is a struggle for some people. My guess is this is where your mind went when you thought about this commandment. Specifically, you think this commandment means do not say GD. And it does mean that. And it means don't say Jesus Christ or Jesus when you're mad or upset or frustrated or surprised. It does mean those things. Those are terrible. And if you're doing that, would you please stop? I want you to think about this. If you tell God to damn someone or something, do you understand what you've asked him to do? You are ordering God to make that person suffer eternal punishment in hell, that person or that thing. What do you think God thinks about that? Given that he sent his son to die on a cross to keep everyone from having to suffer eternal punishment and be separated from him forever. When we use these words, we take his holy name and we turn them into filth. We treat his name like garbage. We make his name a literal curse. But the the command goes much further than just three cuss words. It includes all cursing, swearing, and profanity. And this is an area I struggled in from the time I was about nine years old until I was in my mid to late 20s. And this is embarrassing for me to share this story, but I'm going to. Um, I, I didn't cuss all the time. I cussed in certain circumstances around certain people. And it was typically when I was playing sports or doing something competitive that it got really bad. All the older people in the room, who in here knows the show Leave It to Beaver? Okay, so explain that to the young folks later. If you know Leave It to Beaver, how many of you know Eddie Haskell? Okay, so Eddie Haskell was a punk, and he acted like a punk all the time except for when? When he was around Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver. And then he turns into this angelic teen that had the best manners on on the earth. Yes, Mrs. Cleaver. Oh, no, Mr. Cleaver. That's kind of how I was with cussing. I could turn it off and turn it on. Well, it's the summer before I'm going into fourth grade. It's the middle of the summer. And I'm walking up a driveway that is between my house and our neighbor's house. And I'm with three kids in the subdivision that are all two to four years older than me. And I'm trying to show them how big and bad I am. Now, little do I know, as we're walking toward the back of my house, my mom is standing. Who's here tonight? Hopefully she didn't remember this story. She's standing by the back door. I don't see her, so I don't know that she's there. But she is hearing everything that I'm saying. And about that time, I unleash every cuss word that's in the book. And I am not exaggerating, all of them. I used them as nouns, verbs, adverbs, adjectives, conjunctions, prepositions. I mean, it's just all over the place. And about that time, I hear, Neil Allen, get in this house right now. So now you know my middle name, which I hate, because that's the only time I ever heard that name. And my mom never yelled. So that, I was in trouble. And here's the thing about my mom. She she doesn't cuss. She never cussed. And she basically despises profanity. So here's her nine-year-old son right outside of her back door just cussing up a blue streak. 
So I get in the house, and I don't know what's going to happen. And unfortunately for me, it wasn't like Ralphie in the Christmas story. I did not get soap in my mouth. That would have been great. I just told you it's the middle of summer. I'm nine years old. There's only three things that matter in this world, basketball, baseball, and wiffle ball. And I'm going to be a pro at all three of them, and I want to do those 28 hours a day. She grounds me for a week. I can't go outside. She gave me the death sentence. I mean, she might as well killed me. Give me the Ralphie soap. And then I got the speech. And this isn't word for word, but my mom, and this is the only time she gave it to me. But I told you, she didn't like profanity. So anytime she'd hear somebody cussing in a movie or a TV show, I would, I would hear something like this. Educated, civilized people don't talk like that. Cussing is a sign of a weak and limited vocabulary. And like I said, I hated hearing that because I knew she was right, but I wanted to be big and bad and sound tough. And what she was nicely telling me is, you sound like an idiot. And that's what she should have told me. What she was most upset about is I'm, I represented her. I was her son. If you heard me talking that way, you may have thought that she talked that way or that she taught me those words, or that she was okay with me talking that way. She wasn't. I hurt her with the way I misrepresented her. And I think that's the exact same thing that we do with God when we curse and swear. We're his children. We represent him. So think about that the next time that you want to be a potty mouth. I want to read a passage for you from the book of James. This is James 3. 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Well, that was the, my story for a good 15 years. It was salt and fresh water. I struggled with my cussing right up until my mid-20s, and there were two things that finally made me stop. I had kids, and I didn't want them to hear their dad talking that way, and I didn't want to hear them talking that way, and I sure didn't want to be the excuse for why they talked that way if they did. And the second thing, and this is the more important one, we got back in church. And that's when I rededicated my life to the Lord. And part of why I didn't want to go back to church is because I knew I had a potty mouth and I knew I needed to clean that up. Thankfully, God helped me clean that up. I share this story because I know that others in here struggle with this. I may not be the world's worst, but it was a bad problem for me. If I can stop cussing, anybody can stop cursing. But there's a lot more to this commandment than just cursing. So let's move on to number two. Swearing to God or by God and making oaths. Now, this does not mean that we can't take an oath using God as our witness for important things, like we're in, when we're in a courtroom or when we get married or we're taking an oath of office. But it is a serious offense to violate an oath or a covenant 
that we have asked God to witness. And the most common way we do this, and probably every one of us in this room has said this phrase at some point, I swear to God. Or we invoke the name of your person, my person. I swear on my person's grave. And why do we say those things? Because we're trying to convince somebody that we're telling the truth. So I want you to hear what Jesus says about this. In Matthew, this is Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I can't even grow hair. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Summary, let your yes be yes and your no be no and live your life in such a way that people will believe you. Let's go to the third point. This one you may not have thought of. Acting or speaking falsely on behalf of God. And if we do this intentionally or out of ignorance, this is a big deal. And here are some examples of what this would sound like. God said this to me. God told me to do this. The Lord's leading me to do this. The Lord's given me a word for you, brother or sister. You better be 100% sure that what you say is really God speaking and not just your idea. It is easy to say things like this to justify what we want to do and to motivate and manipulate other peoples to do the things we want them to do. It is perfectly okay to share wisdom, recommendations, and history of your faith walk to help people make decisions. That's very different than saying, God has given me a word for you. If he has truly given you a word to share, then by all means, share it. Just make sure it's God's and it's not you. Here's the penalty for a false prophet because that's basically what you are as a false prophet. Maybe. Next verse. I killed it. All right, I'm gonna read it to you. This is from Deuteronomy. If it comes up, read it. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything that I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. That's all I got to say about that. We'll move on to number four. Using his name in silly and meaningless ways and euphemisms. Euphemism is a big word that you may not think you know and you know it. It's when you substitute a word. In other words, I have something that I want to say, and it's off color. I shouldn't say it. It's probably going to get me in trouble. So I substitute some of the words so it's milder and wink. I'm not saying that thing, and I can then say the other. And I'll, I'll just give you one example. And hopefully you know that this is, this is violating the third commandment when you say, oh, my God, because you're using his name in a useless meaningless way. Well, people figured that out a long time ago, so guess what they started saying instead? Oh my gosh, that's a euphemism. This seems tiny to us. It's not tiny to God. 
Those words that we substitute still violate the spirit of this command. We disrespect God when we use his name or substitutes in meaningless and empty, vain ways like this. I'm gonna put some stuff on the screen here. I'm not gonna say any of them. Well, I'm gonna say two of them. If you're using these phrases, just these are good things to cut out, okay? These are euphemisms. There's two that you may not understand, so I'm gonna go over cheese and rice. I had never heard that phrase before, and I'm working at the bank, and somebody in my department starts saying this phrase, and I'm like, what are you saying? And she then said, you know, Jesus Christ, cheese and rice. And it came from some movie in the 90s, and so now everybody's saying that when they get angry or disgusted. Don't do that. And then the one that I think you may want to argue with me, and you ain't going to win this argument. You can take this up with God. It's not just what comes out of your mouth. It can also be what you're typing with your fingers, on your phone, wherever. That OMG, that is using God's name in a useless and meaningless way. And then that's not enough. Let's throw some profanity in there because what I typically see when I see that is OMFG. Please stop. Now, I'm going to show you one more way that we use God's name in vain, and this one is the one that I think will surprise you, and if you've aced everything that I've shown you so far, unless you've fed thousands of people with two fish and five barley loaves, I don't think you're going to get past this one. This one, hypocrisy. And here's what I'm talking about. For those of us who have received Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, who pray in his name, and we've taken his name as our identity. We're Christians, but we deliberately and continually disobey his commands. We are taking his name in vain. It's not just what comes out of our mouths. Our actions have to back up and match our professed faith. Let that marinate in you the next few days. Our actions have to back up and match our professed faith. Let's look at this short verse in Luke, and this is Jesus speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus is not your Lord unless you do what he asks and what he says. In the book of John, Jesus goes even further. He says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Okay, so if we don't obey his commands, what's the, what does that mean? That sure sounds like we don't love him, because if we did, we would obey I could spend weeks in a Bible study on this one point, but for tonight's purposes, I just want you to be aware that misusing God's name or taking his name in vain isn't just about the, what comes out of your mouth. It's also our actions that prove our faith or they reveal our hypocrisy. I'm gonna quote from the book of James again. Faith without works is dead. And if we're claiming with our mouths this deep love and devotion and dedication to God, yet our actions and our behaviors are just the opposite, that's dead faith. Our hypocrisy disrespects God, and I've already told you, God will not be disrespected. As Christians, our behavior is so important in today's world. I wanna pick up a thread that Pastor Dave started with two weeks ago in this series. We're gonna put a slide up that I hope that you remember. And he had up the 10 commandments given to God's people, given for the whole world. Well, what does that have to do with hypocrisy? Well, follow me. God is holy. 
meaning that he is different. He is separate. God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are the most holy, different, and separate people that we are ever going to encounter. And God calls us to be holy. That means that we are supposed to be separate and different. In other words, our lives must look drastically different than the rest of the world. Just like the Israelites in their day, they had to be different than the pagans and the polytheists, the people that worship multiple gods. Christians today are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in living good and holy lives. The world needs our example. It's not about us showing up here for church. That's a part of it, but that's not really what it's about. As much as we love to worship and meet together, if you think about it, we're a lot like cell phones. We come in here on Thursday night or on Sunday morning and we're on empty. We got no battery left. So we come into this charging station. That's what this sanctuary is. We hear the music and we worship and we praise and we hear the preaching and the teaching and we get fed and then we fellowship with each other and we love each other, and it charges us back up, and now we're full again. Do you think God means for us to just sit here on this charging station? No. We're supposed to take what we got in here and take it outside of these walls and show the world that salt and the light that God's calling us to do. Because if we don't do it, where where are the people gonna see it? We have to be the change. And if we do it right, maybe the world will start thinking about doing the same. And this is why hypocrisy is so damaging. The world wants us Christians to fail badly at living wholly different lives. Because if we fail, and we do all the time, I fail every day, that gives them an excuse to keep living the way they're living without a God or where they are their own God. We're almost done. Let's, let's tackle the last section, which is going to be the second half of our commandment that reads, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, on the surface, this sounds serious and a little scary, and it reminds us that this is important to God. We should never disrespect God. This is one of his 10 commandments. It's one of the four on how we should relate to him. Why is this warning here? Other than the second commandment, none of the other commandments have a warning about punishment, but this one. And even here, it doesn't tell us what the specific punishment is. It just says that we will not be held guiltless. I go back to what I said earlier. If it was up to us to put a top 10 list together, this one doesn't make it. It's, not, it's just not as important to us. Well, it's important to God, and that's all that matters. The warning here is a reminder that even though we may not think that this sin is a big deal and it goes unpunished and unnoticed out in the world, it is important to God, and he will declare us guilty if we misuse his name. This verse says that we won't be held guiltless. It doesn't say we won't be forgiven. Those are two completely different things. We receive punishment for every sin we commit, even when we don't get caught, although God sees it all. We receive punishment. Every sin we commit separates us 
from God. It does more than separate us. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. In other words, when I sin, I earn, I deserve death, which points us to Christ. And if you haven't figured this out by now, the main purpose of the Ten Commandments was to point us to a Savior who wasn't gonna hit this earth for another 1,400 years until after those commandments were given. Because if you got a brain in your head, you got a little bit of humility, and you're honest with yourself, you realize that obeying these commands all the time is impossible for us. But it wasn't impossible for Jesus. He did it. He obeyed every command, every time, all the time. He was sinless and perfect right up until, right up until my sins, your sins, and all of mankind's sins were placed on him on the cross. And he paid our sin debt that we would never be able to pay. Jesus did all of the work. Our role, believe in him. Believe in his powerful name. Believe that he is the son of God. And we have to know and realize that we've sinned. Like when we've disrespected him and misused his name. And again, that's why the law was given to us, to point out our sin, to point us to our Savior. Then we have to confess and repent. We have to do a 180. We have to go in the complete opposite direction of our sin. The commandment says that we won't be held guiltless, but Jesus became our guilt so that we would be found faultless and sinless. Now, one more time, I wanna go back to your person, okay? Think about your person right now. You got them? That person who has loved you the most, I want you to remember that the Lord gave you that person as a gift, and that was him pouring out his love in you, in that person to you. No one is ever gonna love you more than the man on that middle cross who paid it all for us. And I can't think of a better way to honor him, his name, and what he did for us than to sing to him about his beautiful, powerful, wonderful name. Let's worship him now. Amen.